living to learn independently is an indescribable feeling and sense of accomplishment unlike anything in the world. And that's sort of like my calling towards why I came to Centria is to, you know, improve the lives of children and families affected with autism. Each day across the country, there are thousands of incredible Centria team members working to better the lives of autistic individuals. We will be highlighting the journey of these remarkable people and getting their unique perspective on how they stay connected to the mission in their positions. And then I'll connect their story to a principle in behavior analysis to further illuminate the application of our science. We're your hosts. I'm Timothy Yeager. And I'm Lisa Cunningham. And this is the Do Wonders Podcast. Well, Ryan, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Of course, to get started, how about you just tell us a little about yourself and, and what do you do and how long you've been doing it? Yep. So my name is Ryan Zoltowski. Um, I'm a digital media specialist in the marketing department here at the Resource Center. Uh, I graduated from DePaul University in Chicago with my undergraduate degree in 2020. Um, since then, I've graduated from Wayne State here in Detroit with my master's degree um, in business administration. Uh, currently, I'm engaged to my beautiful fiance, Mary Kate, and we have a little pup at home named Gus. And then just sort of, I've joined Centria in May of 2021. Uh, recently celebrated my two-year anniversary at the company, which has been great. Uh, during my tenure here at Centria and Life Skills, I've seen the company not only grow, but blossom over that period of time, um, especially within the last year, as we've begun to shift towards more of an emphasis on our clinical outcomes. Um, it's great to see that our company is continuing to grow um, and prioritize people. Um, it's it's really great to be a part of every day. That's awesome. I have I have to ask. Excited about everything you said, but what kind of what kind of pup is Gus? Uh, he's a little Shih Tzu Pomeranian. Um, right. He's cute as can be. <laughs> well, we hope to see pictures afterwards. Yeah. Um, now that the door's open, he might you know pop in by. But. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be a special guest this week, yeah. too. <laughs> is that a shits palm or a palm shits? He's a shits palm. Shits palm. Interesting. Yeah. We may need to put an explicit tag now. But. Exactly. I was like, uh, where are we going with this one, guys? Is this a joke about dogs? I don't know. <laughs> um, Ryan, you said you graduated in 2020, which obviously was during COVID. Um, right. I know from a company perspective, like it was a it was a wild ride for Centria being on this, you know, just fast paced growth trajectory and having, you know, a pandemic impact us so broadly. And of course, it impacted everybody. But I'd love to hear a little bit about your perspective. What was that like for you graduating during that time and kind of coming into the workforce? Yeah, so it was obviously like around March. Um, I had my midterms coming up. Um, so actually at DePaul, we have trimesters. So that was sort of like the end of March. And then I was going to have, you know, a March to June session. Um, and it just sort of came to a screeching halt. Um, I know we were doing like our final reviews and then, um, they're like, Hey, there's a chance that we might not have a final. Um, we might not be in. And it was funny. Cause like, I didn't even know, but that was like my going to be my last undergraduate class. Um, mm -hmm. and then, and then quickly, um, finals didn't even happen and got canceled and you just kind of had the grade you had. Um, and then ceremony wise, it was a YouTube stream. Um, mm. so <laughs> I woke up late in my pajamas and turned on my graduation. 
Um, it is very anticlimactic, I must say. Um, I, I feel really bad for, you know, people who only did undergrad because that was it. Luckily, I did get to walk at graduation when I got my master's, which was sure. kind of like, you know, finally I did it. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely a weird time. I, you know, everything was shutting down. So I moved back home, um, just be closer to family. Um, and that definitely, you know, rerouted myself in the Metro Detroit area was, was COVID for sure. Yeah. Well, our gain on that one. Were you <laughs> always planning to do your MBA right after undergrad or did COVID kind of have like somewhat of a sway in that decision? No, I always wanted to do it right after. Um, I love learning. It's probably like one of my favorite things. Um, so being, being an undergrad, my sights were always set on, you know, working part-time while doing my master's. Luckily during COVID, I got a nice solid year out of master's before, you know, having to work full time again. Um, and then since joining Centria, um, I finished up my master's while working full time. Um, and it sort of all came together. So it's been great. So what led you down the path to, to Centria? So, so I grew up in a family where my mom and dad, um, were both in the healthcare field. My, my mom is a nurse. My fiance is a nurse. My dad's a pharmacist. My brother's a pharmacist. So I've always been around the healthcare field, but I always knew I wanted to do business too. So while they were, you know, taking their medical school classes, I was taking business classes. Um, and then COVID came around and, you know, obviously job security was a thing, but I'm like, you know, healthcare is a very safe industry and it's also something I've been accustomed to. Um, I didn't want to just do a regular business job post-college. I always knew there was a deeper calling to my career than just selling a product or service. Um, in Chicago, I actually had worked for a digital marketing agency and we worked on products such as, you know, sports and jewelry and residential. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't nearly as emotionally fulfilling as helping someone sure. like a nurse or a pharmacist does. Um, you know, my fiance brings home stories about how she's improving lives or even saving lives at time. Um, yeah. And to me, that is like so awesome and so emotionally fulfilling than if I were to go the business route and just try to persuade people to buy a Coke versus a Pepsi. Um, so when I moved back from Chicago, um, like the autism community, the healthcare advertising industry is a very underserved population. Uh, because people decide to go work for the Cokes and the Pepsis of the world, um, I thought being from a healthcare background, like this was my calling. Um, and I know with every ad that I serve, um, it's seen by a family that needs our help. And seeing a lead come through Facebook from an ad that I created, um, getting started with services, eventually graduating and living to learn independently is an indescribable feeling and sense of accomplishment, unlike anything in the world. Um, and that's sort of like my calling towards, um, towards why I came to Centria is to, you know, improve the lives of children and families affected with autism. Is there a moment um, since you've started at Centria that really solidified that, uh, that calling and, and that mission like coming to life? Yeah, I would say that moment came when we visited one of the centers Originally, we we went there as like a learning exercise because um, I advertise for about our centers all the time about ABA therapy um, and like 
the benefits of it and why, you know, families should choose Centria. Um, so we went to the center and it was truly eye-opening to see traditional ABA going on with one child next to someone who's receiving SBT. Um, and it sort of all came together for me in that moment where um, I saw firsthand what we could do. Um, I could see the likes of you, Timothy, and Hillary and your work towards SBT being carried out right in front of my own eyes. The centers felt like the heartbeat of Centria. And then while that particular trip was for learning purposes, um, I've since been back to the centers to capture some photography assets, interview our techs and BCBAs. Uh, I actually have a trip to our Dearborn Center later this week to capture more of those assets. And I can't wait to go back because again, it is, it is that heartbeat of Centria is these centers. And it's so amazing to see us working through those therapy plans. Um, it's not something I had to interact with every day being at the resource center. So making it out to those centers is, you know, is truly, is truly enlightening. One more follow-up question, Coke or Pepsi, you keep bringing it up. So <laughs> what, what's your choice? My preference is Coke. Um, I know, you know, like Comerica Park where the Tigers play is like a big Pepsi and like, I'll get a Pepsi. I'm not, I'm not big on that, but when I'm at the store, I'll, I'll buy a Coke. <laughs> I'm team Coke all the way. I am oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. And specifically <laughs> McDonald's Coke. Is, oh, yeah. It's a different it, breed of Coke. It's a different breed. It's an elevated breed of Coke. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Ryan, it's, uh, you know, from an HR perspective, right? I think about how, you know, what we get to do here at Century is like doubly beneficial and that we both get to serve clients, right? And that's what our team members in the field get to do. But, you know, we're lucky because we get to hear stories like yours, where, you know, you're not directly in the field, but you are making such an impact um, in your role. So we get to have a team member who has a really fulfilling career path because what they're doing aligns with some of their own values and aspirations, which is what I heard from you, Yeah. Um, as well as all the kids that we get to impact, which is awesome. Um, I would like to hear, so you've spoken a lot about how this aligns with, uh, you know, your values and your passion, but what's life like for you outside of work? Uh, life for me outside the work, it's, it's very sports heavy. Okay. Um, I play hockey twice a week. I play on a softball team. Um, I love to golf, love, love to, uh, you know, exercise and get out there. Probably not a big gym guy, um, but love to exercise if I, you know, I'm chasing a ball or a puck or whatnot. That's probably, that's my HRE. Uh, I have a little sticker on my water bottle. Um, sports is definitely my happy, relaxed, and engaged. That's awesome. <laughs> hockey is such an elusive sport for us on the West Coast. Like, I don't know people who like grow up playing hockey. Um, what was that like? It was this a sport you grew up playing? Oh yeah, I, I started skating when I was three, was on my first team by four. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been, it's been a huge part of my life. Um, I did not play at school because being in a big city, I wasn't going to lug my big hockey bag around. Uh, yeah. But now that I'm home, it's it's great to play again for sure. It just looks like chaos whenever I try to watch it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I love a lot of sports. I watch sports almost daily. Um, maybe we can have a conversation at a point to understand like all the line changes, all the different things that happen. Oh yeah, just, it's it's always moving. You you can't yeah. take a break mentally or physically for sure uh, in those games. Kind of thinking about, you know, what makes something great. And you, you kind of lit up, Ryan, when you were speaking about that. Like, it's definitely a passion point to be engaged and whether, you know, 
kind of a team environment or just getting out there like golf something along those lines um you know i'd love to hear what a great day at work is like for you and i think you probably touched on some talking about the dearborn center but maybe just in your day-to-day role you're obviously the only individual we have in this role at centria so there may not be a lot of familiarity from our team members about everything that you do and so love to hear a little bit about that and what a great day looks like so a great day looks like for me is obviously Um, Thankfully for me, I'm able to see the vision with pretty much anything I do. I understand how one way or another, you know, it's helping people. Uh, Today as a digital media specialist, um, I touch on things such as, you know, our client lead gen campaigns, which brings clients in, the budgets associated with those, um, our email journeys that we send to our families, uh, the content that they see through social or through our ads platforms. Uh, as well as our public relations side of the brand too, um, you know how we're perceived by the community, um, you know getting our message out there beyond just us echoing it, um, but you know having media outlets you know tell our story, um, and sort of between you know the digital ads, the blogs, the press releases um, for Let's Go Centria, basically anyone who comes in through our brands interacts with the piece of content that I've touched sort of in one way or another. Um, so it's nice to know, like if I see, you know, I go to a, a center and I see a client, um, it's great to know that they probably have interacted with, or at least their parents have with something that I've worked on. And that's very meaningful for me, uh, you know, having such a big impact, you know, to get these families into the centers and then see them progress. So it really comes full circle at the centers. Um, but a, a perfect day for me is definitely, you know, working on things for our families um, to better their experience with us, uh, to make it easier for them to find services um, and the why behind Centria. Yeah, I think about that, too. Like, you know, so many families don't know where to start and there's kind of like looking at resources in certain places and there can be a lot of, you know, just what do I do next? And I think having that path illuminated with some content here that you've specifically developed. I mean, I can think about how beneficial that would be on the journey to getting into services with us. So no doubt, very fulfilling. I'm gonna ask a naive question as a follow-up here and uh, we may just cut it. Um, but uh, <laughs> like um, not being all that familiar with the work that you do, is there like a, a piece of content or like a campaign or something that you've done that just like really resonated and like, uh, you had a meaningful impact? So a lot of our campaigns involve, you know, video and with those videos come our success stories, which are so emotional and everyone's so different. You know, everyone's story is awesome. Um, but you know, we go to a center to film and you hear like the passion in the parents' voices and like how, how much of a real impact like we've had on them. So, you know, my day to day is taking that story and telling the world about it, telling the world about Centria, um, getting people excited, um, you know, to join us and to see what their child can achieve. Um, so that is like, it is it's so great to see. Um, it's such a raw emotion from these families and being able to go out there and tell the story um, is, is truly fulfilling. And, you know, I hope everybody knows our story because, you know, one way or another, we all know someone impacted uh, by autism. So um, to know, to know that, you know, 
that they, their chances of living independently and having positive outcomes um, through Centria, through life skills, um, is definitely an avenue that they can pursue. I think we've touched on it. Uh, you, you've touched on it throughout the conversation today, but just more specifically, like, could you let the audience know, like, what, what is your why? You talked about a calling. You talked about how this aligns to like what you want to do and like what you want to be about. But like, can you get a little more specific on what it is and why it drives you? Yeah. So my why is basically that deeper emotional calling than just selling a product or service like a normal marketer would do. You know, coming home at the end of the day and knowing that I helped a family get into services through, you know, an ad they saw or a form they filled out. Um, being like, okay, like I worked on this piece today, this family filled it out and now they're having real conversations and are, you know, going through our process to get into services. Um, every day, you know, I, we look at conversion numbers, you know, how many people have come in and just seeing that number grow month after month is so fulfilling. I know we do close to 900 leads a month and like that is, it's like, okay, those 900 families, you know, those are 900 people that didn't know about us and now are interested. So my drive is to, you know, obviously increase that number, but it's just so fulfilling knowing that these families are getting the help that they're seeking out um, and being able to be really that first point of contact. Uh, they might search us directly on Google. They might be scrolling Facebook and see us for the first time. So, you know, the ads or the success stories that they see, uh, that get published by me is, is so fulfilling knowing that I'm that family's first interaction and to see them go through it all um, and have those optimal outcomes. That's my why. Thanks for sharing that, man. That's really powerful. Yeah. Timothy, I feel like we went through all the we <laughs> typical did. questions. Was there anything, <laughs> Ryan, that you feel like we didn't touch on that you would like, like to share? I wouldn't say like anything specific. Um, I do know that I've sat in on um, our meeting with our PR agency with Timothy and Hillary and just hearing them explain the PFA SPT process for someone like me who, you know, slight medical background in the family, but primarily a business background. Um, it is something, as we know, like I love to learn. I love to continue to learn. So like learning clinical processes and why this is good for, you know, the clients, um, they're more happier they have better outcomes, why it's good for the techs, they stay longer, they're happier doing their um, their therapy. It's like, that's the part that, you know, I always, I always love to echo because for someone like me, like I don't really know those clinical things, but I've started to learn them. Um, and I think we've done a great job at explaining it to people who aren't so clinical. And now I can talk about it to, you know, a couple of my friends. Um, one of my friends was actually a in-home technician, didn't have a great experience, was a quick quit. Um, but I continued to harp on like, hey, here's what we're doing better. Here's what we're focusing on. And since then, he's actually come back. He actually works at the Clinton Township Center now. Mm. Um, so he's like one of those examples where, you know, didn't have a great first experience, but, you know, within the last year, how we've been able to improve bringing, you know, bringing technicians back. And now he loves it. He loves it at the center. He's actually you know, working to try to be an FSM. And it's things like that where, you know, I hear it every day and I don't even know it, but just being an advocate for the brand, when people ask me how work's going, I, you know, I can talk about what we do for hours because it's so enlightening. 
and, you know, bringing, you know, my friend back into Centria because of all the awesome things that we're doing. So uh, continue to, you know, talk about SVT, why it's so great, because it is so great seeing it in person. Um, I think what you guys do is awesome. So continue to do, you know, continue to do your guys' why, because it's working and it resonates with me. Um, and I'm sure it resonates with, you know, other people here at Life Skills and Centria. Thanks for sharing that, Ryan. And thanks for the conversation. I really appreciate getting to know you better and uh, better understand the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. The more non-service related like people that we have on this call, it's challenging me to stretch and think about um, our science um, in in different ways, which I think is pretty cool. I actually was thinking about this this term uh, and want to talk through verbal behavior. Okay. Um, and uh, started in nineteen. I think the first Skinner book was in nineteen fifty seven. Uh, okay. Verbal behavior, and verbal behavior distinguishes itself from other forms of behavior because it's behavior that is reinforced or mitigated through a listener, and so. Um, in behavior analysis, we would say that something is, you know, behavior is verbal, um, or language is verbal. If it like serves to impact as a consequence to the speaker's behavior, right? So, um, if I asked you a question, Lisa, and you answered that your answer would be the reinforcement to my question. And that would then be verbal. If I, okay. um, uh, said, you know, like, could you go get me a Coke from McDonald's? Right. That's verbal behavior. If you, if, if that language of mine is typically reinforced by a listener within that community. Um, but if I was just like, you know, speaking nonsense or words that like didn't really have a purpose or a function and there weren't around a community of people that would reinforce that, then that would not be considered verbal. Right. Um, an easy example is like you, you have kids, like mm -hmm. your, your children at, at some point start babbling and just start making noises. And while that serves a purpose in the long run, it doesn't really serve a function in that environment to like uh, get a response. Um, sure. At some point it does. At some point it starts to serve an attention function to where like kid babbles and uh, the parents come to them and give attention, right? babbling might turn into screaming and screams and crying at times can serve different functions. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, we also have like language or not language. We also have like vocal sounds that individuals make that are not necessarily verbal. So the question is, well, why do we, why am I talking about this after talking to Ryan? Um, and, uh, marketing, advertising communications, is a mm -hmm. function of verbal behavior, right? So okay. for an ad to truly be effective and verbal, like it has to have an impact on the reader or listener um, in order for them to do something, right? And so um, there's other forms. There's verbal behavior is a large category. There's a bunch of different vocal verbal operants that align within it. We can talk about that another time. But for Ryan to be really effective in his job, um, his advertising has to impact the listener in some way or the reader in some way click on this link fill out this application 
listen to this video, um, feel this emotion or support or relief as a function of watching those videos and or yeah. content. And um, but if it doesn't result in any change or action uh, as a from a behavior analytic perspective, we would not say that that advertisement was a verbal behavior in that instance. Interesting. I so it, I think that was one thing that you denoted for me. It doesn't necessarily have to be truly verbal, like spoken. It can be read. It can be read. Which is it can be smoke signals. Yeah. It can be sign language. It, like okay, it just it caused a desired action. It, it, it had some action on a listener to mitigate the, like the reinforcement that uh, you were seeking. It, it worked. It functioned. Which makes sense, right? I mean, as we kind of think about the parallels, like that's that's the science behind mm -hmm. it. It, the practical application that I feel like the word or phrase that, you know, we would use is talking about effective communication, yeah. Yeah. right? And it kind of gets to the same thing where you're hoping that elicits a response or mitigating behavior, you know, and I think about, you know, how does that apply to marketing or, you know, even certain communications that we might send out from HR, which obviously we part with marketing um, on, but you think about like, is there a call to action? Like, what are you to do from this? And so that's kind of being clear on the communication front. Is that yeah. what you're saying here? It's clear to the point that it like has an action, right? And um, I would also say just to your point earlier, behavior analysis, we don't typically get caught up in topography and like topography is like the form of a behavior. So whether it's written, okay. whether it's said, whether it's signed, where you use a device to communicate, um, whether it's a gesture of some sort, um, uh, the, the mechanism on which communication is delivered is only a vehicle to, to effectively drive an outcome. And as long as that mm -hmm. outcome occur, is occurring, then like, um, and has a history of occurring, we would say that would be verbal. What's interesting is, um, now I'm just speaking on the top of my head here. So um, John Watson is a, a early researcher in psychology. Um, okay. Uh, many, if you took an introductory psychology course, you would have taken, you would have read something about John Watson. I think it was baby Albert where, um, oh, yeah. he like showed, uh, like conditioning principles of like a loud sound, you know, in the, in the, you know, presence of a white rabbit would, um, elicit a certain response eventually in the absence of that sound. Yep. And since he conditioned kids to be afraid of rabbits um fun fact that eventually eventually like this thing called i think we talked about last week transformation of stimulus function to where yeah where yep. uh, the children eventually were afraid of like white lab coats as well and so it's the, the the white aspect was uh, uh where that transformation occurred he actually went into advertising after it's like after this research mm. he had a, a fairly long career in advertising and um, th there is a you know definite psychological component of 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 advertising. I think more specifically um, in behavior analysis, uh, tapping into like motivations and being able to communicate yeah. in an effective way, um, uh, I think is a an important piece of of uh, being effective. Right, you have you have to yeah, align I mean action to motivations. Totally agree. That's what I see about like in order to be an a quote unquote effective communicator, a big piece of that is understanding your audience and the objective of the messaging. Mm -hmm.
right? And specifically, how do you work to align the audience and their motivations or values to that overall objective so that, you know, it's heard, whether it's, you know, coaching somebody on like, oh, I noticed you did this. And if you want to get this outcome, we do this. And I'm letting you know, because I know you really care about this kiddo. And I know you really want to have this client progress. Um, You know, it's far more effective than, well, why'd you do that? Right. (laughs) Which is going to get someone defensive immediately. So it is kind of nuanced. And that just, that makes me think, Again, what Ryan talked about too, like SBT, get to know this specific kid, Mm -hmm. get to know or client, right? Get to know the specific team member if you want to be effective in the verbal behavior, right? Yeah. So verbal behavior, oftentimes, um, at least more advanced forms of verbal behavior require perspective taking, right? And that's Mm -hmm. what exactly we're talking about is that. You know, for Ryan in advertising, he not only has to communicate what he wants to communicate, he has to understand the perspective of the the listener or the reader to understand what they want to hear and like what their like motivations are. And then how do I effectively communicate so that they can hear and listen? Um, it's a it's a challenging uh, skill set to learn and um so we have we have people that really excel, and I'm really glad that Ryan is one of those team members that excels in this way. Yeah, oh, that's great. And I, you said something that really resonated with me as well, which was, you know, it's a skill, and it takes a certain amount of time and reflection to truly be effective. And I think, you know, there's probably this perception, I'm sure, of some of our behavior technicians, like, oh, wow, that BCBA or that supervising clinician, right? They that just seems so easy for them, but it's through really thoughtful, like application of science, getting to know that specific like client that you work through it. And I think, you know, there are similarities when somebody looks at a good leader they're like, Oh, so natural, right. For them. But I I think in order for that to be natural, right. It's through practicing and the, the application of it, but it's through meaningful reflection on that specific individual or group of people and I feel like that humbles me because sometimes, you know, we move so quickly in a great way. And I think that's been to our benefit as we've grown as an organization. But I think you need to have those pauses to truly understand how to, you know, get the desired response from the verbal behavior yeah. to be able to positively impact yep. the outcome. Uh, here's what I would add to it. Something I'll reflect yeah, on. Here's yeah, here's what I'd add to is uh, um, the key to reflection to me is as a part of effective feedback and feedback mm-hmm. and not in the sense of like okay. always needing someone to be delivering the feedback, but feedback from the environment on your behavior. Um, let me give you an example. Okay. So yeah, there's some research um, a long time ago. I was once a fifth grade teacher and it was part of my graduate studies and um, worked under the amazing mentorship of Dr. Jessica New um, in New Jersey. And she um, uh, and I implemented this procedure called writer immersion. And okay. it's a, there's research on it in the behavior and analytic education um, journals. But in essence, what it was, uh, was it was teaching fifth grade students um, how their verbal behavior was uh, impacted their environment. So very easy activity. Um, okay. child goes and buries a treasure in the, in the recess yard, buries a treasure. And then they have to go write a step-by-step directions on how to find the buried treasure. Um, they write the directions, 
they give those directions to a naive reader and the writer has to just stay quiet and watch the 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 naive reader um, follow those directions. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, the reader does something that the writer did not intend, right? And so then the For reader sure. has to go. Or the writer has to go back, reflect, figure out what they can do differently, write it differently, and then keep going through this process of write, receive feedback, write, receive feedback, and it's through that. Uh, behaving and, and, you know, seeing the uh, effect of your behavior as a consequence, reflecting on it leads to better writers. Um, And uh, it's similar in any of our aspect of uh, behavior, which is, you know, the more salient the feedback is and the more immediate the feedback is, um, the better. And yeah, and and it's same is true with our marketing. Like we have data on like the impact of of our messaging, if it's having the intended impact. Um, and it becomes a science and, and a reflective practice of how can we behave differently to get the intended outcome that we have. Sure. And that's, so I think that's so interesting as you, and you know, I actually am like smiling over here because I did a similar activity when I worked at a summer camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and we worked with high schoolers who actually, you know, paid to come to camp to serve mm-hmm. others, whether it was like, you know, being part of the kitchen or running activities for, you know, the other younger kids. So it was actually a really cool program. But that was one of the activities we kind of did was something really similar. And it's humbling. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it, it seems so natural, like once you start it, and then you kind of tinker here and tinker there, and you start to realize it. Yet there's a lot of places where we place unrealistic expectations on ourselves to be perfect the first time mm-hmm. when, you know, working with others. <laughs> and that example that you just had, whether it was fifth graders or high schoolers or like, gosh, I mean, I even participated in it and was completely humbled by how poor my initial instructions yep. were. Um, I think it just shows like working with other people in a way that's going to be impactful, dynamic, seeing them as a person. It's very rarely going to be on your first try Mm -hmm. because it's getting to know them, the environment, all of those different things. And I think, I I don't know. I feel like that's something that's going to sit with me, which all of our podcasts thus far, you know, as when something happens in the real world, I know there's like a psychological concept for that. When you learn about, you know, a new word and you hear it everywhere, you see like you get a new car and you see that brand everywhere. Um, I don't know. This is definitely something I feel like I want to think more intentionally about. And also just when I advise others in my role, especially, you know, managing and leading people, like be patient with them and be patient with you yeah. because you're not going to get it right on your first time. You know, I was thinking about this as a, we're going through an organizational change right now. And uh, yeah, um, part of this organizational shift is, you know, creating an organizational structure that has every leadership role has a peer, right? in our Mm -hmm. field. So every clinical leader has an operations leader. Um, And inherently that builds, we're building some friction into the system so that people can partner, collaborate and make the right decision. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know this because I I use you often as an informal coach for myself, but like that friction is uncomfortable. Um, And oftentimes I find myself in meetings being like, if they just understood what I'm trying to say, then we would agree. And the truth is, if I just communicated in a way that aligned with like what their goals were, 
then we could come to a better space of agreement, right? And mm -hmm. I think the, just the point on this is that verbal behavior is less about um, uh, what you're communicating and more on how what you're communicating is impacting the, sure. the listener. Um, and the challenge in, in, in how that becomes a much more complex is perception is very complex. We, we don't mm -hmm. we don't necessarily live in a a uh, a world in which everyone we don't live in a world where everyone perceives the same thing, right? And yeah, um, and our perception is often what guides conversations. And if we're all perceiving different things, an effective communicator is one that can ensure that everyone's um, at least perceiving something as similar as possible, so that we can get on the same mm -hmm. page. Um, and it causes me to reflect back on some of my behavior in the sense that like oftentimes that frustration is misguided in the sense of like, it's not frustration with other people, it's frustration with myself and not being as effective as I can in, in, in my verbal behavior. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. I think, you know, I, I see that too. And I feel like I've been focusing on something, you know, Claudia really said this actually when we did those, um, women's history month mm -hmm. interviews of like our female leaders. And she said one of the like best pieces of advice she got from her mentor was just looking at specifically, you know, and this was women's history month. So when it was, when working with other women, find a way to collaborate instead of compete mm -hmm. and you'll always win. Right. And I think I've applied that in a number of ways, just to like my mental thought process where, you know, is it, am I concerned about it being like my way or is it about reaching the broader perspective altogether? And how do I kind of shift my focus to collaborate and see, you know, different perspectives or to your point earlier, right? Like how do I communicate in a way where we actually get that level of alignment? Cause we really are, it's not about my way or their way or anything. It's about moving the business forward in pursuit of clinical outcomes yep. for, you know, our clients and service and, I, I don't I don't know what it is, if it's just like how I'm wired, if it's like something about Western culture, but the competition piece about like, oh, they're just not hearing what I'm saying, where it's very person centered, um, I think can get in the way of truly effective verbal behavior, right? Yeah. Because it's about the audience. I think truly effective verbal behavior at some core element builds trust, right? Um, and I think yeah. that that's like, because as a, as a speaker speaking to a listener or as a writer, you know, writing to a reader, there's some trust in that relationship that um, we're going to work together in some meaningful way. And yeah, and, and at least speaking for me is that this level of collaboration that we require um, requires that trust. And we have to build that trust. Yeah, I, I hear you in that too, just in my own world. But gosh, that kind of ties beautifully in with what Ryan was saying too, like under like, you know, we have the families where we need to earn their trust and keep it throughout our their time and their journey with us and services. Yeah. And like it, it essentially that effective communication or verbal behavior starts with a level of trust and understanding your audience. And I don't know, kind of coming full circle, just thinking about that and what that means and why, you know, it can feel really emotionally loaded for families, because if something's not going the way they anticipated, it feels like broken trust. Yeah. Well, I will say That's that really verbal behavior goes both ways, right? So maybe Ryan starts the conversation with, um, as a writer, uh, getting information out to readers. At some point, the relationship flips to where families and clients become the speaker in the situation. Like, here are the mm -hmm. things that I want. 
here are the aspirations I have, here are the goals that I want to achieve. And then in right. that instance, we as a service provider are the listener that need to act upon that, right? And yeah. um, and we wanna set it up for their verbal behavior is reinforced, that they are heard, that they are valued, and that we do achieve those goals. Um, and as long as we have that interlocking relationship that goes back and forth between us as a service provider and the family and client as uh, receiving our care and being a partner in our care, um, you know, that continues to build your trust. But when that relationship is broken, that's when we have, you know, challenges that we have to work through. Yeah, no doubt. Cool. Well, I appreciate that we're not interviewing uh, uh, an individual from the field today just because it challenged you to kind of work through this, which I think is like so practically applicable in the daily lives. And granted, of course, I want to get more interviews with our fantastic team members changing lives in the field. But yeah, yeah, I'd say I just leave it this that uh, um, behavior analysis and, and verbal behavior, which is a subset of it, um, is founded on like pragmatism, uh, this mm, philosophical sure. perspective that, you know, we do things that work and if they don't work, we don't continue to do them. Um, and, uh, our language, our, our verbal behavior is no different. Um, uh, we'll communicate in ways that work. And that's often why you I'll just end it, I'll end it here because I just uh, I have a seventh I have a seventh grade oh my good my daughter's going into freshman she should be a freshman this wow. year and her verbal behavior is shaped by a community that's much different than I right so yeah they say words that I don't know like she's been talking about riz a lot and like I don't know what that is but like her verbal community has selected out that that word is reinforced and works. Um, and and we need to continue to like create communities that like build up uh, our people so that uh, their communication finds a finds an effective path to be effective. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Until next time, Lisa. Yeah, thanks, Timothy. And that concludes another episode of us telling the stories of our incredible staff and their work to support our powerful mission. Until next week, do wonders. Do wonders.